morning. This is Farm and Table, an Iowa's original program featuring articles from a variety of publications that focus on farming, food, and the business of agriculture. Your reader today is Lou Pyatt. Our first article comes from the August issue of Successful Farming and deals with flooding. The title of the article is A Place in Our Hearts. Volunteers from Ohio make the trek to Nebraska to help flooded farms. On a chilly Saturday in late March, North Bend Central High School juniors worked frantically to finalize prom decorations in the gym at an ordinary rite of the springtime. At the same time, at the other end of the building, volunteers were scrambling to accomplish the extraordinary. Flooding had submerged this town of 1,200, about 50 miles northwest of Omaha, Nebraska, two weeks before 30 volunteers from Ohio's Rural America Relief, parentheses, Ohio Rural America Relief dot WordPress dot com, into parentheses, arrived with supplies for the massive farm cleanup. Sycamore, Ohio, former farmers Rose and Greg Hartshoosh organized the initiative. We watched videos of the bomb cyclone of snow and rain, ice, jams, and flooding, she says. We saw a lot of people hurting. The Hartshoes had been moved to action in 2017 when wildfires in Kansas and Oklahoma devastated farmers. Now incorporated as a nonprofit, their organization reassembled farmers and agribusiness ex- employees and added six volunteers from the Winford FFA chapter in Crawford County. Ten drop-off donation locations were set up across Ohio, and cash gifts were accepted to cover the group's travel and lodging. When the 10-truck Ohio convoy arrived after a 16-hour drive, Farmer Jordan Emanuel and FFA advisor DJ Model met them to unload and stack supplies. They had almost anything we'd need. Hay, feed, gates, T-posts, barbed wire, chainsaws, power washers, even portable bunks, Emanuel says. Look, lending a hand. Although the devastation in town was obvious, farmers were reeling from the impact of flooded homes, grain bins, closed roads, washed-out bridges, and the needs of hungry livestock. The Ohio volunteers fanned out to eight farms. When something like this hits, it's easy for farms to take a back seat with so many issues in town, Emanuel says. It's amazing anyone would come so far to help us. The Ohio volunteers brought four gators to access the saturated fields. They spent a lot of time in pastures, along the Platte River to see if fencing could be salvaged, he says. A broken levee one and a half miles west of Greg Beebe's farm had ruined center pivots and unleashed debris. We didn't realize how much we needed a little help until this Ohio group showed up, he says. FFA alumna grilled burgers for the Ohioans at Frontier Co-op and area farmers hosted them at Leroy's Steakhouse. We had lots of farming conversations, Emanuel says. We compared yields, practices, and property taxes. The local Boy Scout troop provided lunch on Sunday, and the Ohioans headed home later that day. We have to take care of each other, especially in agricultural, Rose Hartshoe says. Farmers are farmers no matter where you go. They said we gave them a jump start on the cleanup 
and hope for tackling and help and hope for tackling the work. Heavy lifting ahead. In the early days of the flooding, Linda Emanuel, Jordan's mother, who is also a farmer and an AgriSafe Network community health nurse, waded the streets going door to door to see what residents needed. She supplied personal protective equipment kits to volunteers through the Central States Center for Ag Safety and Health in Omaha. The mental health stress has come in waves, she says. She adds, we learned how strong we are and how much heart our community has. Prom did happen, and it was what our community and high school students needed. Everyone just wants to get back to some normalcy. At home in Ohio, Rose and Greg Hartshu washed away visible remnants of their trip. We brought home a lot of Nebraska mud, she says. The Ohioans also brought home enduring memories, the blood, sweat, and tears of farmers faced with unimaginable loss and their grit to persevere. North Bend was a place on a map, Rose says. Now it's a place in our hearts. This next article from the same magazine deals with machinery. On a side note, asking prices and hours on 12 years of Class 7 Don John Deere combines. 2018 S770s, 167 available. Average dealer price, 347 380 Price range, 264 500 to 535 400 Average separate hours, 339 hours. Separate hours range, 62 to 478 hours. 2015 X670, 160 available. Average dealer price, 221200 Price range, 142000 to $289,900. Average SEP hours, 953 hours. SEP hours range, 311 to 2741 hours. 2012 S670, 148 available. Average dealer price, 158400 Price range, 107500 to 249900 Average SEP hours, 1307 hours. SEP hours range, 491 to 2696 hours. 2009, 970STS, 64 available. Average dealer price, 108750 Price range, 85100 to 183500 Average SEP hours, 118.22. SEP hours range, 728 to 3675. And finally, 2006-9760-S2S, 35 available. Average dealer price, 71300 Price range, 59000 to 87300 Average SEP hours, 2420 SEP hours range, 1553 to 3665 Inventories of late model deer combines are still in ample supply on dealer's lots, indicating a potential summer sell-off. This next article is entitled, Searching for the Deals in a Buyer's Market. Prices for late model combines have been volatile but still shore up this month. Just how soft are prices on used combines? That depends on what you're looking for. Take the example of two 2012 combines in excellent condition that sold at auction late this past winter. Both combines were equipped similarly with duals, premium cabs, 
power folding grain tanks, contour feeder house, and so forth. The first combine was a 2012 Deer S690 with 1,586 separate separator hours. It sold for $90,000. The second combine, which sold a week later, was a 2012 S660 with 1,493 separator hours that brought 95500 At 543 horsepower, the X690 offered far more capacity than the S660 at 320 horsepower, but demand dictated price. The S690 was oversized for the crowd at the first auction, held by Weeman Auction in South Dakota, while the S660 was ideal for several buyers at the second auction in Illinois, held by Sullivan Auctioneers. Prices in a buyer's market tend to be more volatile, which opens up opportunities to get a good buy on a down day at auction. Dealer asking prices, on the other hand, are more stable in either a buyer's or seller's market as dealers set their values on nationwide averages as listed by Iron Solutions. An imminent harvest will shore up values this month, and stronger commodity prices from an August price rally, a possibility though often not a reality at this time of year, could put a hard floor on harvester values. Your best tactic if you are looking to upgrade combines or add a second or third harvester is to track prices such as those given in the pocket price guide or the price averages given on deer combines on the previous page. This next article is entitled Combine Asking Prices Do Mirror Crop Values. It's written by David Davidson, product manager, ironsearch.com. It seems like the price of everything goes up, doesn't it? Commodities like corn may seem to be the exception. It's been seven years since we've seen $8 corn in the peaks of 2012. If you study the long-term price trend going back to the 1960s, however, it becomes easy to see that in the long view, this increase does play out. We'll come back to corn prices in a minute. Let's look instead at the trend of new selling prices of Class 7 combines back in 20, back to 2010. The analysis here is on the average new selling price of Class 7 combines from 2010 to 2018, adjusted for inflation. There are some dramatic swings in the percentage price change each year on new selling prices. In 2012, the average selling price was a whopping 13% higher than the prior year after adjustment for inflation. Well, that wasn't that the year corn spiked for $8. Yes, it was. Some years revealed a decline in the new selling price of these combines. The average new selling price in 2016 was down 4% from the prior year. Also, in 2016, the average annual corn price for the year was its lowest since 2010 at $3.60. When you lay the annual percentage price increase over the corn price, there does appear to be a correlation. However, while commodity prices are likely a large influencer on new combine prices, there are other factors at play too. Among the factors in the backdrop of this period were governmental mandates like the Tier 4 diesel engine emission requirements and changes in Section 179 write-off amounts. 
New features and models from the manufacturers also come with price increases. Many factors are involved, but commodity prices are very likely a large influencer on new combine prices. At the time of this writing, corn was $4.50, levels not seen since spring of 2014. Will the price of corn hold up? If so, might we see new prices of Class 7 combines on the rise again? Strong correlations like commodity prices and new equipment price apply to used equipment values too. If farm commodity prices increase, you may see the resale cash value of your equipment hold its value more than normal. Consider tracking the value of your equipment assets over time to spot these trends on your own assets. Check out your equipment value today and quarterly as factors change. You can do this with the free online appraisal tool on agriculture.com. If you need a more detailed appraisal for a fee, go to ironappraiser.com. Here is a list of upcoming auctions of note. However, these are long past, but there was an auction on 8th and 9th, August 10th, August 28th, August 29th, and August 30th. The one on August 8th and 9th was a two-day Empire Farm Days auction conducted by Roy Teatsworth at teatsworth.com in Santa Falls, New York. The second one on August 10th was TAC Enterprises. TACTractors.com will be holding its quarterly farm equipment sale in Moulton, Alabama. On the 28th of August, a pre-harvest consignment auction was scheduled in Marion, South Dakota by Weeman Auctions. The one on 29th was Steffes Group, held its Agrion Sioux Falls event in Larchwood, Iowa. August 30th was a two-day sale of trucks, farm equipment, and livestock equipment that was held in Elgin, Oklahoma by Bridges Auction. If you're interested in appraisals of your equipment, you can get two free equipment appraisals. Uh, Be sure to cash in on your two free equipment appraisals by going to agriculture.com slash what's it worth. These free appraisals are based on actual dealer sales, auction purchases, and wholesale transactions on selected equipment built in the last 20 years. Used by banks, equipment manufacturers, and equipment dealers all over North America, the Iron Solutions equipment appraisal that is now available. This next article is entitled, Hiyui Hangovers, Identifying the Weaknesses of Hydraulic Electronic Unit Injector Systems. The first GMO crop introduced into the American market was the Flavor Saver self-ripening tomato in 1994, the same year that the Hydraulic Activated Electronic Controlled Unit Injector, or HEUI, H-E-U-I, for short, pronounced HEUI, was first seen on a diesel engine. The controversy about and misunderstanding over both technologies rage on today. The HEUI system was more than just a new injector theory. It was the offspring of a joint effort between Caterpillar and International Trucks, it began in 1987. A new method of fuel to fuel a diesel engine was required with the upcoming emissions control standards. The Huey system was common in international 466E and 530E engines, mainly found in medium-duty trucks and school buses and the CAT 3126, among other applications. 
Huey gained its notoriety under the hood of the first Ford Power Stroke engines. The Huey family of fuel delivery was employed on many agricultural engines produced by CAT as the company temporarily moved into farm machinery production. The CAT C7 and C9 engines often fitted the Challenger tractors and other farm uses with the alert system. The assert system enjoyed the application of the Huey design, whereas an electronic unit injector, EUI, employed a camshaft profile to operate it, the Huey uses engine oil at very high pressure, 4,000 PSI, instead. This was the first time the fuel pressure and injector opening timing could be varied independently. It allowed for the fuel delivery curve to be infinitely shaped, and in addition, it meant less wear on the camshaft and no cam profile limit to fuel delivery. In simple terms, the Huey employed a swash plate oil pump design that replaced camshaft actuation. Due to the combination of the high engine oil pressure on one side of the injector, the Huey system can enjoy nozzle open pressures high as 5,000 psi with a potential peak pressure of 28,000 psi. The oil pressure acting on the Huey amplifier piston is multiplied seven times in the fuel pump chamber. The blending of the hydraulic and electronic controls along with precise electronic discharge machining raised fuel atomization to a new standard. Huey weaknesses. In engineering, we use the acronym KISS, K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. The only problem is that advanced control of the fuel events cannot be achieved with the simplicity of a mechanical injector. Complexity is a necessary evil of the Huey system, but it is a very reliable injection injector since its Achilles heels are identified for are identified. For starters, Huey engines are noisier since there is no pilot injection pulse and instead uses one injection event. Due to the high pressure, 500 to 3600 PSI, the oil is exposed to and then sent back into the oil pan to lubricate the rest of the engine. The result is that it has a reduced service life and is prone to chemical and viscosity breakdown. In addition, a very high quality oil of the proper grade and specifications must be used or excessive engine wear will occur. A traditional mechanical injection system can build carbon deposits on the pintle and impact fuel atomization. The Huey system is also susceptible to that and sticking on the oil side. The lubricant side of the injector will build with gum and varnish if the engine is not changed regularly. Engine oil, if the engine oil is not changed regularly or if a poor grade is used. The result is a phenomenon called stiction, where the oil side of the injector that creates the fuel pressure rise skews. The result is a poorly running engine. Excessive deposits. Many neglected Huey injectors have excessive deposits on the pintle that skew fuel atomization along with a lack of response on the oil side. This often produces a hazing in the exhaust, 
poor cold starting and performance, reduced power, increased fuel consumption, rough idle, weak throttle response, and an exhaust note that sounds like a constant misfire. These are products that can be mixed with the engine oil to help remove the varnish and restore the injector's response. They should be employed with a fuel side injector cleaner as part of a preventive maintenance program. Unlike a mechanical injector that can easily be disassembled, cleaned, and have the NOP set, for all practical purposes, this cannot be done to a Huey. There are shops that claim to have the equipment to service a Huey. More often, they just use an ultrasonic bath as would be done with an EFI injector in a gasoline engine. This next article is entitled Zero Out Head Losses. It's written by Dave Moitz, Executive Editor, Machinery, for this magazine. This preseason inspection guide reveals wear on corn heads, which has become the leading cause of grain losses. Closer attention to combine settings and improvements in threshing and separation technology has worked wonders in minimizing grain losses in the combine. Successful Farming magazine's cornhead doctor, Dennis Bollig, warns that cornheads contribute enormously to grain losses, however, citing an Iowa State University study that estimates 60% of all losses happen now at the cornhead. The need for speed has farmers driving faster, pushing a cornhead to its limits. That leads to more grain losses, Bolig says. Combine that with the fact that genetics has created shanks that are stronger in cars that dry down rapidly and ears that dry down rapidly, and it sets up a situation where the impact of an ear hitting deck plates can lead to more butt shelling. Consider that if you run at 5 miles per hour, a head is pulling down 12 to 15 plants per second per row. That is pulling ears into the head at 15 to 18 miles per hour, Bolig estimates. Now consider the challenges a head faces if it has to operate in down corn, which is more common these days. Bolig points out six areas on a corn head to maintain and adjust in order to minimize harvest losses. Number one, gathering chains. Designed to pull the stock into the head, chain tension is crucial to properly presenting the stalks so its ears can be stripped off. Besides checking tension, examine the chain for wear. When tension adjustment is maxed out, then it's time for new chains, Bollig says. Anticipate how many acres existing chains must harvest in the coming season. If they are approaching the end of their useful life, don't think you can squeak through another harvest on older chains, he says. During your inspection, look at sprockets for cupping in their valleys. Pay close attention to lower idler sprockets that operate near dirt for wear. Take the chain off and spin sprockets to listen for noise coming from the bearing, he says. Number two, deck plates. Whether deck plates are bolted on or are hydraulically or automatically adjusted, make sure they're free to move since they can rust to the frames. 
Remove the plates not only to clean them but also to remove corrosion and foreign objects. Hydraulic plates can rust at their pivot points and often they won't move, he says. Adjust plates to stock size, if not automatically adjustable. You want the gap between plates to be as tight as possible to avoid butt shelling. Check to see that all deck plates are set at the same distance, Bollig says. Deck plates should be operating so they are positioned next to the stock. Set too wide, they will cause increased butt losses. Set too narrow, the plates will break off stocks, feeding more material other than grain into the combine and slowing down threshing, he says. Check for plate wear, particularly at the lower end of the plates. Number three, stock rollers. Rollers are the muscles of a head pulling plants at a furious pace. If you have 35,000 plants per acre and you're harvesting 1,000 acres, you have 35 million plants going through those rollers. Stocks are tougher than in the past, which causes extra wear on the rollers, he says. Rollers do wear, particularly at the bottom end of the component. A worn roller will not pull the plant down at the right speed to properly strip off the head. It can also lead to more head plugging by breaking off stocks, he says. Number four, the auger. Little can go wrong with the head's auger. Still, you need to inspect its flighting to see if it's bent. Number five, the feeder house. Often overlooked, the feeder house has a huge impact on how the crop is presented to the thresher. Check chain tension so that it is pushing ears gently up the feeder house. Loosely operating chains, loosely operating chains can result in slugs of crop going into the combine, he says. Number six is the drive system. A corn head, particularly one with chopping components, consumes a lot of power from the combine. Inspect all drive components, particularly belts or gear drives, that transfer power, he says. The author, Dennis Bolling, concerns regarding the huge impact a cornhead has on capturing all the yield a crop has to come from farming over 40 years near Fenton, Iowa. Bolling is also president of Dragotech USA, which distributes all Mac cornheads. Contact Bolling at dragotech.com or by calling him at 888-789-2723. You've been listening to Farm and Table, an IRIS original program. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. Let us know what you think about this program by calling 515-243-6833 or visiting iowaradioreadinggroup.org.